Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. We're going to continue our Ephesians series here in a bit. Let me say this. Uh, One of the cool things in ministry is being able to partner with others who have a, a passionate heart for the Lord. And about eight years ago, on a Sunday morning, Mike and his wife, Terrell, visited for the very first time. Uh, he came up to me after the service. We began conversation. And uh, shortly after, I can, I can tell you, uh, when Paul talked about Timothy, and he wrote to the believers in Philippi, and he said, regarding Timothy, I don't have anyone else like him, of kindred spirit, a genuine love for Christ and others, and a man who has proven character. Mike had already been involved in missions and ministry for many years. And me and this brother, man, we began to connect eight years ago. So about four weeks ago, you broke my heart, brother, and uh, it was a bitter, bittersweet conversation as Mike shared with me that he and his wife, Terrell, were going to be moving out to Oregon to be close to one of his daughters and uh, grandbabies or whatever. But I wanted Mike to kind of have a farewell with our people. So many of our guys have been under the leadership. So many of you have gone through training with Mike. Uh, you've taken so many of our guys on mission trips, etc. Man, I love you. You're one of my favorite people on the planet, dude. So share with our people, and uh, I want to just sit here and listen to you. Yeah, well, good morning, everybody. And, uh, yeah, there was a debate for about uh, three years with my wife. We have another daughter. We have a daughter and and her husband here that we're very close to, but we have a daughter, a husband, and a grandbaby, granddaughter, in Oregon. So for three years since the child was born, there has been a debate of uh, are we going to move or not. Obviously, I lost the debate. And on the 15th of September, we'll be moving. Um, I just real quickly, some ministry stuff, and then I have some thank yous, and I have to get off the, this uh, pulpit. But uh, uh, when we move to Oregon, nothing's going to change in the ministry. As long as I have an international airport, I can fly around the world and teach. I teach in a lot of schools, discipleship schools, and, and churches around the world. And we have our ministry in Mexico. We have 24 staff there and five directors there. And if you're not familiar with that, real quickly, uh, we have a, a full-time Christian academy, a Saturday school where we teach Bible and, and academics. We have a, uh, a de- uh, discipleship training school for five months for uh, people between the ages of 18 and 30, where they stay for five months with us, three months in the classroom, two months out in the foreign mission field, preparing them for leadership in the church or missions. Um, we build homes for our students' families out of block, and uh, that keeps them safe and it keeps them from being sick, so we build block homes. Um, We have discipleship classes for mothers. We have about 50 mothers in our discipleship class. And the other thing that we do, which your church began, uh, some of you men have been with me uh, in Mexico, and uh, I just appreciate you guys so much. I I love you guys. Uh, These men who came from your church that came with me to Mexico, they saw a need in our community. And when we came back, they talked with their wives, and uh, they decided they would start a food and hygiene distribution program every month. And because of their generosity, because they planted the seeds, and because they fund this program, it went from 40 uh, 40 families a month now to almost 100 families a month. So if any of you men are in this uh, congregation right now, would you just stand, please? I just want to recognize you. Stand. Brother, you can stand. Don't be shy. And so these two men and their wives uh, in this service are the only two that have come with me, I guess. Uh, You can stand, young man. You've been with me. 
Jesse. So can we just give them a, a hand clap of appreciation because they started this ministry in Mexico. Thank you, brothers. I love you guys. Um, so, yeah, so we'll be going on to, to Portland. I'll be working with a local church there as well. I already met the pastor. He's an evangelist, an old rock and roller, all tatted up, and has a real heart for, uh, you know, evangelism. So I feel safe with him being in the Portland area. Uh, pray for that because we'll be ministering down in the Portland uh, city area. As you know, it's just crazy over there. Um, so that's what we'll be doing. My wife, Terrell's in the back. She doesn't like standing on a pulpit, so my wife, Terrell's in the back. She's my partner, my lover, my friend. Um, 33, over 33 years together serving the Lord, and uh, so we can uh, also give her a hand clap because she's dealt with me for 33 years. So uh, I, I just, there's some people I just want, want to thank, and if I miss anybody by name, I apologize, but I want to thank uh, Dan Wilson for being my personal maintenance man and taking care of my home. And Dan, I appreciate that. Thank you. And, and Brother Craig, thank you for sending your guys over for plumbing all the time to take care of all my needs because uh, I just appreciate that. That's all I can say about that. Um, Dan Disney, I don't know if he's here, but Dan Disney is my, my book proofreader and uh, a contributor and editor of my books, uh, one of them. And he also is now writing my Bible study for my book on um, the Holy Spirit. And so a Bible study book will be a companion to that Dan Disney has done that. And um, so I just I really appreciate you guys very much. And for the congregation as a whole, we've made such great friends here. Uh, you people, uh, the old dykes, uh, they're, they're our supporters every month. We, 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 they take care of us as well. And some others in here, I think, are monthly supporters. So we just want to say that we really do love you. And we appreciate your pouring out of your love and prayers, encouragement, finances into our life and our ministry. Um, and then, uh, let me see, well, there was one other guy. Oh, yeah, you. There was you. And, I, and I'll never forget the day when I, when I heard you preach. We had been looking for a church, and, and we came here, and I was sitting about five rows back, and I hit Terrell on the arm, and I said, this guy, I love this guy, because this guy ain't a professional minister. He's just a man who loves Jesus and who has a call in his life. And that's when I came up and saw you. And that Wednesday was when I came to your office, and a few things went on there that bonded us forever uh, in a friendship. And, uh, brother, you have been a mentor and a friend, an encourager, um, supporter, confidant, and uh, no one's going to replace you in my life. I thank God for the Internet because we'll always be able to see each other and continue on our relationship. Um, so I love you, and I appreciate it. And if you don't know, your church is a supporting church every month. So when you give to the offering, you, your part of your offering is going to support our, all the work I've just told you about and Terrell in my life. Um, we love you guys, Pastor. Love you. Steve, Nick, love you guys. Um, what can I say? Just we appreciate you. We will miss you. But I'll say this. We will be back every couple of months because I have a daughter here that just won't let, let us go. So uh, I have a couple of movies I have to make here. They've been put on hold because of the COVID thing. We still have movies to make, and we have all of our ministry relationships up to this point are up and down the East Coast, and, and this is our home church here. We have one in Maryland, one in New York, so we will be back to see you every couple of months so we won't be strangers. Brother, thank you so much for this time. Everybody, thank you so much for your prayers, encouragement, love, support, and all that you poured into Terrell in my life. God bless you. Amen. By the way, take it away. We'll have a time of a prayer 
on our backside of our service like we normally do. And Mike and Terrell, I've asked uh, that they uh, just stand over around the cross. And I know for many of you, Craig and uh, Dano, uh, many others in here, you, you will want to pray over them during our prayer time today. I love that brother. Uh, he has been a mentor uh, for so many in this room, as well as my son, Benji. Uh, he, he's going to miss him big time because he and Benji spend a lot of time together. Mike, you're a, you're a rock of a man. Terrell, we love you guys. And uh, like Mike told me when we sat in my office that day, he says, brother, I'll be back in town every two or three months. So I said, all right, that's good. Because there's been parts of his schedule and travel at times where he's gone for two months at a time. So when I came to faith, let me say this before I get into the teaching. When I came to faith, I was playing baseball. And baseball is a very transient culture. I mean, you, you're gone. I mean, I would leave in February to go to spring training, and it would be September, October b- before I was back. And even when you had a home uh, uh, team that you played for, you were still on seven and ten day road trips back home for seven or ten. So I was used to a very transient style culture. Uh, there would be guys drafted, guys would be replaced. Some guy would walk in, take a uniform, another guy would leave. Guys being sent up, sent down, sent out, whatever. So I got used to life being kind of transient, and. You know, Mike, as we've done life, brother, I mean, that's been a large part of your uh, ministry as well. I mean, we're transient people. And when you go back and study the book of Acts, Acts 2, uh, the church was very flexible and elastic, and it was always on the move. And so our passion here at the Cross Loganville, and I think one of the things that connected us so well together is we believe the church should leave the building. And so hanging out on a Sunday morning for 75, 90 minutes is not the issue, really, I mean, in the 10,080 minutes that you get in a week, I mean, all right, so let's say we hang for about 90 here, but what are we going to do with the other 10,000 minutes? And so we should be living missional lives. And brother, we're going to continue to keep that in the forefront. Let's pray. Get your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1. I'll start in verse 15 here in a bit. Um, And let's open our hearts. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Mike and Terrell. Thank you for the partnership, the fellowship and friendship that we've shared over these last uh, eight plus years with them. And uh, Lord, I just pray that your hand would continue to be strong on their life during this move, uh, during this relocation. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do in regards to uh, using them as salt and light to point many to Christ in Oregon and the greater Portland area. So we lift them up. And so, Father, for us here at the cross, those online now, I pray in the name of Jesus that our hearts would be open to a transforming work of the Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. So let me ask you a question. When you think of prayer, what is the first thing that you kind of think of? All of a sudden, you're like, uh, what is prayer? Where where, where does your mind go? I know for a, a lot of kids, it's God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. Or it may be, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, my Lord, uh, my soul to keep. And these are all introduction kind of prayers that we teach kids. But what is prayer? And prayer is supposed to be real, relational, intimate, raw, authentic, and very reverent. When you look at prayer, prayer is not just passive meditation. Prayer is not just some casual reflection. Prayer in its purest sense is having direct access to God. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is listening to God. 
Prayer is pouring our hearts out to God. That's what it is. But it got me thinking, why is it for so many of us that our prayers are so weak, so quick, and yet so predictable? In Christ, we have audience with the King of kings and Lord of lords. We have audience with the creator of the universe. But for so many of us, I think we get stuck and our prayers are just weak, shallow, predictable. And for so many, the only time some people pray is when they're at church, maybe occasionally before a meal, or when there's a crisis going on, then all of a sudden we run to God. It shouldn't be that way. Francis Schaeffer, who's a great philosopher and writer, he made this statement. He said, how many churches and ministries would not even notice and would carry on in exactly the same manner as usual if dependence on prayer and dependence on the Holy Spirit were to suddenly disappear from the New Testament. And it got me thinking, if you were to remove prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, I think so many that go to church buy into this cultural, moral approach to life. How would it change your life? And as I contemplate that, personally, I want to have a more vibrant, effective, powerful prayer life. So as I communicate to you today, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Because I think, I think for all of us, if we got gut-level honest, it would be like, are you satisfied with your prayer life? And I have never met one person in my life that says, I'm totally satisfied with my prayer life. Because we want to we wanna pray bigger prayers. We want to believe that there is a bigger God. Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 23, we get to kind of listen in, if you will, on a prayer that Paul is praying for the believers in Ephesus. These new followers of Jesus, as we gave the backdrop a few weeks ago, these new followers of Jesus, they're living in a culture that is hostile to Christianity. There's so much hostility around them. And when you watch how Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus, as well as how he prays for others throughout the pages of Scripture, he never prays for God to protect them. He never prays for God to heal them. He doesn't pray for a more comfortable life for them. He doesn't pray that they would avoid persecution. Notice this, Tim Keller, the great uh, pastor up in New York and great writer, he made this observation. He said, it's remarkable that in all of Paul's writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeal for changes in their circumstances. Not once did he pray that their circumstances would change. He prayed that they would really press in and go deep with the Lord, but not once did he pray that the circumstances would be altered. And I think a lot of times we only come to God in the midst of crisis wanting our circumstances to change and we never press in to him. And so when you ponder this, Paul prays for what really matters. He prays for so much more. Get this. As you understand, uh, again, the heart of Paul, Paul thanked God for what was happening in the lives of the believers in Ephesus. Get this. Paul knew that it was totally a God work. 
And we must understand that it is God who is at work both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. If anything good is ever going to happen, it's got to come from the heart and the hand and the mind and the power of God. We we can manipulate and intimidate and get a short-term payoff at times. And then all of a sudden, whoever we're trying to work with, they'll drift right back out into the world. But if the Holy Spirit totally invades a person and bombards a person and they get right with God, then things start to change. Again, I would say this. Paul had a big, huge view of God. A weak view of God will lead to a weak prayer life. And I believe the reason so many people struggle with having a strong effective prayer life is because we struggle with seeing the greatness of God and who God is. We try to reduce God down to manageable terms. We try to make him what we want him to be, and we never contemplate and consider the vastness and greatness of God. And I would encourage you to expand your view of God, because when your view of God is small, your prayer life will suffer. A big God invites us and calls us to pray big prayers. Let's unpackage it. When Paul prays here in Ephesians 1, I would encourage you, as you go through this, Benji and I, we were talking, my son, we were talking the other day, that this prayer here in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, he started praying it over himself, over his family, over his, his friends, over others. He goes, this prayer right here has literally changed my life. He said, I, I pray it pretty much every morning. And I'm like, what a powerful prayer. When you look at verses 15 and 16, ponder it. For this reason, because I have heard of, Paul's going to list two things here. Hey, for this reason. When I've heard of two things, your faith in Jesus and your love for others. When I hear of your faith in Jesus, the vertical commitment that you have and the love that you have for others, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Two things. Two things. Faith in Jesus, love for others. Not knowledge of word and hate and condemnation for others. We're living in such a crazy time. We're seeing more division right now than I've ever seen in my life. Again, what we're being told is pick a side. And constantly, that's the narrative. And even people that claim to have faith in Christ or some knowledge of things of Christ, they're putting others down, they're condemning others, they're shaming others, they're guilting others. And if you don't believe exactly like I believe, you're on your way to hell kind of thinking. This is a very toxic time that we have. And as you stop and, and just kind of ponder, it's like, what, what arouses the excitement in Paul and what should be arousing the excitement in us? Oh, I, uh, every time I think of you, your faith in Jesus and your love for others, oh, it's, it's just shining so brightly. I want you to get this. Paul hears, hey man, you're in the city that is ruled by sexual perversion by drunkenness, by pagan uh, worship and religion. And you guys are still pressing into Jesus. It fires me up. He's been away here for a few years since he was pastoring and shepherd, uh, shepherding and planting the church here. And he goes, you guys are staying with it. I mean, in the midst of all the temptation to give in to witchcraft and all the temptation to practice all these perverted things, you're staying with it. 
I want you to think about this. If Paul can pray this over the believers in Ephesus, here, here's the thought. I know, I know that you guys are being tempted. I know the temptations that exist inside of Ephesus. I know that you're young in the faith, but you're staying with it. And I would tell you, I know the temptations that you face. I know that every person under my voice, you're going to face the temptations to fight with others, to give in to foolish activities. We're living in a world flooded with temptation. Satan is having a heyday right now. And I can tell you as I look at you, hey, he's going to come after you. He, he's going to try to take you down, Russell. He, Kim, I'm, I'm telling you, he, he's out to steal, kill, and destroy he wants you to buy into a lie from this world. I, I'm looking at you young girls there, and I can tell you, you're going to face temptation. But what's going to really ultimately matter is your faith in Jesus and your true love for other people that leads you to serve. Satan's going to come at you, and he's going to tell you that believing in Jesus is foolish. And he's going to convince you that it's okay for you to have hatred and animosity toward another person. You cannot honor God and hate your neighbor. It is a contradiction. It squelches and quenches the Holy Spirit. When you say, oh, I'm walking with Jesus, but you've got animosity and hatred and disdain and disrespect toward others. You're a contradiction of what you say. You believe, and Paul was applauding them. Oh, you guys fire me up. You're staying with it because I know Satan's going to come at you. Now, I've got friends watching online, and uh, I'm, I'm really uh, looking forward to them getting back involved. But I think about my friend Kevin and Amy, and I think about my friend Robert and Leslie, uh, who are in the coaching space today. And when I think about where they're at, I mean, here they are at public high schools, Monroe area and at Walnut Grove. But when I think about you guys, I sit back and I go, oh, God, I thank God for you. I thank God for you because your faith in Jesus and love for others is so obvious. My buddy Robert, coaching at, my, uh, at, at Walnut Grove, he put out the video the other day of a kid that is just doing the video and for their football team. And the way he honored and blessed and applauded that young man, I sat there and watched it and I was like, Robert, I'm so proud of you. And they're in a space right now of tension. And when you look at people that have genuine faith in Christ, but they're loving these kids and they're loving those players and they're loving those parents who are all over the map and they're trying to help these kids. Some are coming from fatherless homes and some have nothing to eat. And you walk into their offices and there's boxes of granola and boxes of, of, of different protein bars and waters. And I'm like, you're, you're helping feed and take care of the fatherless. And they're like, yes. And I step back and I go, I thank my God when I think of you because of your faith in Jesus and your love for others. When you contemplate that, you go, uh, when you think of blank, their faith in Christ and their love for others. Who comes to your mind? Who, who comes to your mind? My buddy Butch has been going through some health issues. And when I see how John 
and Richard and Dallas and others rally around you. I go, man, their faith in Christ and their love for a brother who's knocked down. Man, I'm so proud of those guys. And you know what I would encourage you to do today? That person that really has lived out their faith in Christ, who genuinely loves other people, write them a note. Go, you know, today you were on my heart. When I think of genuine faith and genuine love, and then Paul goes into the prayer. This is what I pray for you. I don't want you to miss this. He prays in verse 17. My prayer is that you would know God. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may he give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I'll get to the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, but I want to build on knowledge of him. Now, for me, one of the transforming kind of uh, thought processes for me as I was studying years ago was understanding that there's two predominant words for the word know in the New Testament. It's the word oida, O-I-D-A, oida, and it's the word gnosko, G-I-N-O-S-K-O. And so there's two predominant words when it comes to knowing God, oida. Oida is all cognitive. It's intellectual. It's just perception, and it's somewhat emotional. Don't miss this. There's so many people that I encounter, they go, oh, I know God, but it's only just this cognitive concept of God. I'll get to Gnosko here in a second. But people that live more with an oida mindset, for so many, it's a salvation experience. You've prayed a prayer, you've walked an aisle, but nothing's changed. And that is so many people in the Southern culture. For some, it's a religious experience. You joined a church Again, you filled out the card, you've sat there, but there's been no growth, no maturation, no development. That's so many in our culture. For some, it's an intellectual experience. I memorized a few Bible verses, I got a few facts about God, but nothing's changed. And for others, it's just a cultural experience. Your mama went to church and your grandparents went to church, so you went to church with them and you just sat there, but nothing's changed. And that is the testimony of way too many. They've had this oida. I know God. Well, the demons believe and know God, but nothing's changed. And there's even people that pimp around in so-called ministry that live from an oida mindset. Again, that's the reason I said if you took away, if you took away prayer and the Holy Spirit, some people could still function because they've got the gift of gab. But where is the power of the Holy Spirit? Where is the dependence and in pressing into the Lord? Now, come on. Paul is praying, let me repeat it. Paul is praying for the believers to know Christ. And the word emphasized is the word gnosko. I'm praying that you would know. I'm praying that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, spirit of wisdom. And I'm praying that you will understand God's word, which is the revelatory written manuscript that God has given us. I'm praying that you know Gnosko. The word gnosko is emphasizing transformed heart. It's talking about a radical encounter. Paul, based on Acts 9, the major transformation that took place in his life, he goes, I know God now. I'm talking about daily intimacy, daily dependence, gnosko. 
It means I'm surrendering everything to Jesus. It means I am releasing the power and reins and control of my life to Christ alone. It is a total transfer of heart, of giving everything to God. When you start to gnosko, listen, listen, listen. It means that you will deal thoroughly with sin. It means that when you are walking with the Lord and the Holy Spirit turns on his searchlight and points out sin, you're willing to deal with it thoroughly. You're not going to be general about it. You're not going to be abstract. You're going to itemize and be specific in your, conf in your confession. When you are willing to deal with sin thoroughly, it means that you are willing to do whatever God asks you to do to restore a crippled relationship. God knows that we function best, best when we're at peace with other people. Don't miss that. Uh, walking in Gnosko, it means daily walk, a personal relationship. And a lot of times, this is interesting, Johnny, a lot of times when people say, well, I got this personal relationship with the Lord, what they're saying is it's a private relationship. This is just me and God, and it doesn't belong to anybody else. You will not study in Scripture where you are promoted or applauded by God for your relationship with Jesus to be private. It's a personal that leads us to live in a corporate world. Make sense of that. I want you to get that. Uh, when you're walking in Gnosko, you're recognizing that God is sovereign over all things. God all things belong to you. All reign and rule belong to you. And it means that you're willing to embrace whatever assignment he may give you. Like Isaiah said, here am I, send me wherever you want me to go. So I want to encourage you to understand that as Paul prays, he's praying, I want you to know God. I want you to know God. So how do we know God? We know him through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the written revelation of the word of God. That's the reason it's so important to study, to memorize, to meditate. And if we have the Bible without the Holy Spirit, we won't understand it. And if we have the Spirit without the Bible, we get a twisted view of God. That's the reason Jesus would say, those who worship him, they must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what Paul is praying, I want you to know me. And it got me thinking about this because I've encountered this over the years, and please hear me. I've had people that show up, and all of a sudden they walk into church, they hang here for a few weeks, and they come to me, and they say this, hey, man, just use me, brother. Use you? I just want you to use me. If my kids came to me, and they never spent time with me, and they didn't know my heart, and they didn't understand my whys, and they were not willing to investigate how God has really radically changed me and why I do certain things that I do. But if they just came to me and said, Dad, use me, I would go, I want you to know me. I want you to trust me. I, I want you to know that I'm for you. I, I want you to know I'll do anything I can to help you. But we've got so many people that put the cart in front of the horse, and they're going, just use me. How can God use us when we don't know him? How can we reflect him when we don't spend time with him? Do I want my kids to come and say, use me? Yes, I want you to serve. But serving and being used is the overflow of having a transformed heart. 
And that's what Paul is praying. Hey, you guys over in Ephesus, I'm praying that you will know God through the power of the Holy Spirit, spirit of wisdom, and through the revelation of God's word. And then he says this in, in, uh, in verse 18. He goes, I'm praying that you would walk in hope. Second major takeaway point here. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So Paul is praying for these believers that they are enlightened by God so that they can see according to God's vision. I want your I want the heart of who you are. I want the eyes of your heart enlightened. There's two things, the hope of his calling on your lives and the riches of his glorious inheritance, which he has for his holy people. And when you study the word heart, the heart is the real you. The heart is the core you. Even in scripture, when you talk about loving God with all your heart, when we talk about heart, it is the essence of really who you are. All right, so when we say the heart, we're talking about the, the thinking, the emotion, the will, the real you. Even Paul would write in other places, we used to recognize people according to the flesh. We no longer do. We now recognize them according to their heart, the real core of who they are. Make sense? So when Paul is praying for their heart and for the eyes of their heart to be open, he's praying for the essence, their core operational belief, what they truly believe uh, deep down inside. And then, and, and then he goes here and he's praying, he's, he's praying that they would be enlightened. And the word enlightened means to have illumination or for something to shine brightly. Have you ever been sleeping and somebody walks in and all of a sudden it could be midnight, whatever time, and they flip on the lights and you're almost blinded? That's what Paul is praying. I pray that you would realize in the darkness that you were living, now you've met Christ. I'm praying that you would feel in your spirit like lights have been turned on. You've been shocked, and now you're illuminated to see what God has in store for you. It's almost a shock effect. And he's praying. I'm praying that your heart would have illumination revelation that you would see clearly what God is up to, not only in the world, but in your life personally. That is a very powerful prayer. If I pray that over Barb and over Rachel and Benji and Jesse and Hannah and Caleb and, and Grace and, and Kelsey, if, if I pray that, Lord, I pray that their heart, the true them, would be enlightened shocked, stunned, illuminated so that they would see the hope that they have in you. You know what that would do? If they got it, you wouldn't want what the world has to offer as being superior. It doesn't satisfy. And Paul's going, man, I want you to know the hope that is found only in Christ. And then he prays, in verses 19 through 23, that you will know the Father's power. It's all knowing that you would know God, that you would know his hope, that you would know his power. He goes, I'm praying that you would know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, 
far above with all authority and power and dominion over all this, over every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. God has put all things in subjection to Christ under his feet, and he's given him as the head over all things. The church, which is his body. That's what the church is, the body. And so here's my prayer for us today. And here's my prayer as we, as we go through this. My prayer is that you would know how powerful our Heavenly Father is. That's my, that's my prayer. Fellowship is a gift. Fellowship is a benefit. But when we really start to recognize and understand how powerful God is, Paul uses words like surpassingly great, words like incomparable, or it's beyond measure. What's he talking about? He's talking about the power of who God is, the power of the transforming gospel, and the power that God wants to release in your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. And I believe when we get a glimpse of how powerful God is, the God that made us in his image, the God that would redeem us with his blood, the God that would fill us with his Holy Spirit, when we start to walk into that, we go, that power raised Jesus from the dead. That power ascended Jesus into the heavenlies. That power seated him at the right hand of the Father. Let me give you some thoughts, and then we're going to wrap it up. But I want you to think about, I want you to think about, you, about this. You have access every day if you're a child of God, if you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus. You have access to resurrection power and to ascension power. That is what Paul is emphasizing here. Resurrection power is believing that God can save my family. God can save my coworkers. God can save those people that I consider friends, whatever, that even appear far off. Is God able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything I can ask or think or even pray or imagine? Yes, so when I start to tap into, Paul would call himself uh, the, the worst of all sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. I, I'm as jacked up as anybody. And Paul was basically establishing if God can save me, he can save anyone. So even those people that we've written off, resurrection power can still transform their lives. Uh, resurrection power is believing that God can give me the hope I need to overcome depression. When I start to tap into resurrection power, if it can raise Jesus from the dead, Jesus used resurrection power to say, Lazarus, come forth. The same power is made available to you and me. One, this is absolutely mind-blowing. The same power that raised Jesus. He goes, that power can help you overcome any depression or battles that you're facing. It's believing that God can bring about healing in communities where we see so much gang violence and chaos right now. God, can you change that? You can. Even Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Uh, the, whole, the whole area was wicked. And when he did, God brought about revival and the entire area repented and responded to God's hope. Resurrection power. 
is believing that God can restore a loveless marriage. It's believing that God can rescue me from my addictions to drugs, alcohol, sex, or whatever. He can. He can. Resurrection power is believing that one day Jesus is going to raise me from the dead, from the grave. Do you believe you're going to spend eternity? Yes. And Paul is praying this over them. I want you to know God. And you can't live on borrowed convictions and hand-me-downs. What someone else, just because your mom or dad's got strong faith, you don't inherit that. The relationship with Christ is personal. He invites you to follow him. The line in following Jesus is one deep. Now, resurrection power gives birth to ascension power. And the ascension power is believing. Jesus, you are sovereign. All authority has been given to him based on Matthew 28. And he is reigning and ruling over all things. Ascension power believes that God is stronger than any demon you face, any mind monster that you're battling. It is recognizing that I don't have to be afraid of blank. You fill in the blank. You don't have to be afraid of government. You don't have to be afraid of, of, of jacked up, twisted balls. You don't have to be afraid of, fill in the blank, what, what is it for you? You don't have to be afraid because God has not given us a spirit of fear. Uh, ascension power is believing that God really can restore a, nat- a nation that's being flooded right now and filled with bitterness and hatred. It is knowing that Jesus is sovereign. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. We pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.